It's the Do Politics Better podcast. I'm Brian Lewis. And I'm Sky David. Did you miss us? I absolutely missed you guys. We missed you, but we're back. A little tanned, a little rested, back to the impasse at the General Assembly. Yeah, it wasn't exactly an exciting week to come back to. In fact, it was pretty boring. Yeah, just sitting around waiting for paint to dry or the budget to come into some sort of agreement between the House and Senate. Maybe it was a blessing, right? We come back from a a week of somewhat of a vacation or a recess and kind of ease back into it. Yeah, I did go to the one committee that was scheduled that actually happened. There were two committees scheduled, but only one happened. It only lasted four minutes, so wasn't exactly exciting, but you know, maybe easier. Yeah. Well, I hope the pace picks up. Yesterday, we're recording this podcast on Thursday. Yesterday, we remarked how slow time was moving at the General Assembly, which is usually not the case. We look at our watch and it's 536 o'clock and the day's gone. But yesterday, gosh. But uh, hey, before we get into the news of the week, we have this little munchkin over here (laughs) who is sitting in on the recording of our podcast, Ryder Webb, son of veteran General Assembly lobbyist Stephen Webb, who's 11 years old. We've got him mic'd up, and he's going to actually offer some commentary on the podcast this week. Ryder, uh, you want to say hello? Hello. Ryder, where do you go to school? Wake Forest Middle School. You like school? Yeah. You follow politics? No. But you do listen to the podcast, right? Yes. (laughs) Thanks for being here. And uh, look, we're going to get into the news. Feel free to, you know, offer your commentary if you want to. Otherwise, we'll get to you on the back end of the podcast. We'll talk about our recess last week. So, Sky, before we get into the inside the General Assembly news, we actually had some really great news this week. Back to back, we are the best state in business. Second year in a row, CNBC announced on Tuesday that North Carolina once again has that top slot for best business climate, best place to start a business, run a business, be employed. It wasn't a clear like, yeah, North Carolina is perfect. They certainly had some things to say about some of the social issues going on in the state. But really, that business climate and and all the things that we've done over the last few years to lower taxes, deregulate, has certainly contributed to putting us over the edge. They specifically talked a lot about our workforce and how folks who are very educated come to North Carolina to work. Our great university system is cranking out graduates every year. It was just a clean sweep. And I think all of North Carolina was proud of the fact that we were able to get this achievement once again. Congrats, everyone. Congrats. (laughs) And the winner is everybody. (laughs) That was like my local skating rink thing when we had a race. They would, you would race people on skates. And then the guy would announce at the end, the winner is everybody and you're like no i beat them (laughs) all right so from that great news 
popping champagne bottles, taking credit for North Carolina being number one, we did slip into the General Assembly and found things weren't going so well this week. Everyone at the GA was talking about the budget standoff. The House and the Senate are at a standstill. The big stumbling block seems to be the tax package. The Senate wants to do pretty robust tax cuts, and they want to accelerate those tax cuts. The House wants to do tax cuts, but they want to tie it to the revenue that the state would bring in. So essentially, the House is worried about a cliff, a financial cliff, having to make some dire cuts if there's too much money being rebated back to the taxpayer. The Senate is saying, look, we got to go full force. We've got to cut these taxes. Let's lower that personal income tax rate. We will deal with cuts if we have to deal with cuts. House is like, let's just wait and see. Also on Wednesday afternoon, the Democrats had a press conference to talk about the budget standoff. Attorney General Josh Stein, who is running for governor, held a press conference with House Democratic Leader Robert Reeves, Representative Julie Von Hafen spoke, Representative Wesley Harris, by the way, he's running for treasurer. They took the opportunity to do a little criticism of the General Assembly's impasse. In response to that press conference, Representative Jason Sane, he's one of the top budget writers on the House side, said, hey, if they want us to concede to what the Senate wants, we can go ahead and do that. You're not going to like it. (laughs) I also saw that Attorney General Josh Stein must have walked into the building and saw that you weren't wearing a tie and he took his off too. (laughs) (laughs) I was still in recess mode this week. So Wednesday was my first day in the building and I just walked in there without a tie. Gosh, I got so many comments about that. Yeah. People notice you're slacking. Yeah. Well, I had texted you and said I forgot my tie. Should I go by Joseph A. Bank and get me a tie? And you're like, ah, oh, you're fine. But apparently I'm not. Tie will be on next week. So other people without ties, though. Speaking of Attorney General Josh Stein, he posted some pretty big fundraising numbers this week in his bid for governor. During the first half of the year, he has raised about $6 million for his campaign for governor. He is presumed to be the Democratic nominee. Of course, we talked about Justice Mike Morgan potentially running. But on the Republican side, this morning, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson posted his numbers online and he raised $2.2 million and has $3.2 million cash on hand. Wow. I was expecting more from Robinson, to be honest with you. But again, we are a year out from when this race is supposed to be heating up. We're talking November 2024, so next July, we're going to be in the thick of it. Already huge cash being raised. The question is about Mike Morgan. uh, Is this number going to scare him off? It's noticeable that these campaigns, the Stein campaign and the Robinson campaign, went ahead and released these numbers early, I believe, hoping to scare off some of these challengers. Now, we know there's candidates out there that have already declared, Dale Falwell, uh, Mark Walker, but there is a hope that you can scare them off. You know, Ryder asked me on our way down here today, you know, would you like to be governor? And I said, yeah, the governor doesn't have a lot of power. 
But then you told me he gets like two mansions, and I was like, geez, but like, he doesn't have any much power. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You've learned that, that he doesn't have much power. Yeah. Yeah. General Assembly holds all the power. Does the Home Builders Association <laughs> hold a lot of power? <laughs> That's a good question, Ryder. So you have a connection to the Home Builders Association. You want to talk about that? Yes. My dad is a member of the Home Builders Association. <laughs> he's a member. He's a lobbyist for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Do he you d- think your dad's ever built a home? <laughs> I mean, they have a lot of money to spend. Why don't they do it on the Do Politics Better podcast? Oh! (laughs) All right, man, we're so glad you're here. (laughs) Speaking of political news, let's stay on that for a little bit. We got some news this week that one of our great friends, he's a friend of the podcast, he's a friend to us inside the building, he made an announcement this week. So on Tuesday, Senator Mike Woodard posted on his Twitter feed that there was a big announcement coming Wednesday. Now there has been some discussion about him running for treasurer, so we thought maybe he's announcing that he's going to run for treasurer. So... You called him up and talked to him on Tuesday. And he said he's running for mayor of Durham. He filed paperwork on Wednesday in Durham to run for mayor. So he's going to keep his seat while he runs for mayor. If he's successful, which I think he will be, he would resign his seat from the Senate and take over as mayor of the Bull City. Mike Woodard loves Durham. And... (laughs) Just right out of central casting for a mayor. This guy just loves the city. You can see him out and about. He's at a lot of events. And uh, we wish him well. But Sky, it's bittersweet, right? Yeah, because we like to run into him, talk to him, hang out with him. You like to do other things with him. (laughs) That sounds (laughs) lascivious. Uh, No, I mean, it's noted that Senator Woodard is an old school kind of politician in the sense that he really values relationships, especially he makes an effort to have relationships across the aisle. So he is the, you know, chairman of the Night Owl Caucus. So if you're out and about in Raleigh, chances are you could bump into Senator Woodard. He's having drinks, having a meal, not only with his colleagues on the Democratic side, but he makes an effort to also socialize with Republicans. And you can see a lot of those relationships have really put him in a good position in the Senate to get some work done, especially on transportation. But uh, Senator Woodard, best of luck to you in your mayoral bid. We hate to see you go, but I have a feeling we're going to hear from you. We've got to have him back on the podcast to talk about all this. Yeah, bring him back on with Senator Britt because <laughs> that was a show. That was. <laughs> all right, back to the House, the stake went into the heart of medical marijuana this week. A few weeks ago, after the House Republican caucus caucused medical marijuana, we'd heard things didn't go well. It's not moving in the House. However, nothing was said out loud until this week. Uh, Majority Leader John Bell went on Spectrum and he said, hey, it's not making it out of the House. And then Speaker Tim Moore also said the same thing. It's caught up into this Hastert rule, which is the majority of the caucus in the House and in the Senate on the Republican side. They have a rule. It's not a law. It's not official, but it's just the way they operate, that the majority of that caucus 
has to approve of the bill before it can move in the House or in the Senate. And while it does have the votes to pass in the General Assembly, because it does not have the votes within the caucus, it's not going to move. In the meantime, Senator Bill Rabin, the rules chairman, the sponsor of Senate Bill 3, the medical marijuana bill, he is on vacation. We have a feeling upon his return, we're going to see some more amendments to House bills, uh, maybe some bills uh, from legislators who don't support medical marijuana on the House side might find that their bill has an uphill battle. Additionally, last week, Governor Cooper vetoed some bills. Three bills were anti-transgender bills, and then there was a building code council bill. That's uh, the home builders <laughs> bill, right, Ryder? You've yes. heard about this. My dad was really upset about it. While on recess, he got the news that his bill uh, had been vetoed. Yep. And a charter school review board bill was also vetoed. So... On Thursday of last week, Speaker Moore said the House would add those to the calendar for Wednesday and potentially take up the veto overrides if he had the numbers. So there was a lot of discussion going into this week. Were they going to have the numbers to override those vetoes? And when push came to shove, they did not have them. So now they are on the calendar for next Wednesday. Try again next time. Ryder, does your dad think they have the votes to override the veto? Yes, absolutely. He talks about it all the time. I first got to work with Representative Chesser on a bill. We referenced it in the interview a few months back where I had a problem with one of his bills. And he immediately sat down with me and we've been working on a solution for that since. I just have to say he is a really great legislator. He works really hard on his bills. And this week we sat down to talk to him about his backstory. The Do Politics Better podcast is supported by the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. Founded in 1955, NCTIA has a distinguished history of partnering with the North Carolina General Assembly to strengthen and preserve tourism in North Carolina. Visit nctia.travel for more information on how you can support your local tourism destination and the thousands of North Carolina jobs it creates. Representative Alan Chesser, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Kick us off by telling us about your district. Where's your district and why is your district special? Uh, so I am House District 25, which is almost all of Nash County. Um, most people know Nash County by driving down 64 on the way to the beach. It's roughly halfway between Raleigh and nothing. <laughs> um, and so it's just a right now people treat it as a pass through. But I mean, it's, it's gorgeous. The biggest city there is Rocky Mount. So if you see the Rocky Mount signs on 64, that's where we are. And, um, and we just have some of the greatest people in the state, I believe. Just I've seen through floods. I grew up in that area, so we've we've experienced several floods. We're in a really bad flood area. Um, the mall out there was flooded at one point out towards Tarboro, which isn't technically Nash County, but it's adjacent. Um, homes were flooded, and the community just comes together and just pours into each other constantly. Um, anytime you go to Rocky Mountain Mills on the weekend, you'll just see community events popping up all over the place, and it's not like you know. 20, 30 people that show up, it's two to 300 people that are just out there hanging out. So, I mean, I think it's truly the people that make it special. We also know Nash County because Governor Roy Cooper used to represent that area. In fact, I was thinking about it. You 
probably are occupying the seat that he once occupied when he was in the house. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Roy, Roy Cooper's my biggest fan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, for clarity, Roy Cooper is not my biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> You know, allegedly endorsed my opponent twice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's go ahead and dig into that. You're talking about your opponent. The race that you won, you're a freshman. The race that you won was a race that folks in North Carolina politics were looking at. Can you talk about what that process was like being such a high profile race? I want to say I didn't notice. It was just like, I don't have anything really to compare it to. It was just... Uh, you know, first time in really running a campaign um, that I actually had a chance to win. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, so it was just trying to do my job. But there was a lot of eyeballs and we'll just say a lot of pressure, constantly getting phone calls from people saying, hey, you need to be doing X to make sure you're successful. Hey, you need to be doing this. And I'm like, where have you been for six months? I've been like <laughs> knocking doors. We knocked 15,000 doors wow. um, for the campaign. Uh, and like nobody sees that. All anybody cares about is how much can you fundraise. And and so it was, uh, it was an interesting experience because there are some people who you're running against an incumbent from the opposite party and a we'll use air quotes here, map that favors the uh, the other party. It's like a um, plus five Democratic district, right? Uh, yeah, the most favorable numbers that I saw was plus three. Yeah, okay. but, uh, you know, we got in there. I'll use your number because that makes my <laughs> victory sound even better. Um, but uh, it was interesting and all the while trying to remain true to the brand, um, which is just me, Yeah, and uh, and not become something else. And for listeners out there, Representative Chesser defeated Representative James Galliard. So backing up, you said you grew up in the area. Were your parents involved in politics or how did that become a part of you? No, my parents, um, my dad wasn't even registered to vote until he registered to, he wanted to vote for me. And then I'm like, you live in the wrong county. But okay. <laughs> thanks for registering to vote. <laughs> so not politically active at all. Um, didn't grow up discussing politics. So my introduction to politics came like started being exposed to politics when I was in the military, in mm-hmm. the army. I mean, and at that point, politics really consists of, all right, I'm going to vote for whoever's going to give me a pay raise because we don't make enough. Little did I know I made more then than I make now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but uh, about the same. My first year in the army, I made 12.9 the first year. We make 13.9 now. So there that's pretty go. good. Go. Yeah. But we had housing then. <laughs> um, so it was coming back and getting involved in helping veterans fight the VA hmm. that um, for benefits that I realized that you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know, like, and you can know the process, but unless you know people to help you move things through the process, it doesn't help. So I started making connections at, we'll say the federal level. And then that just kind of trickled down and more issues became relevant to my life and just closer to home, closer to home. So it ended up culminating in, in this run. Speaking of your service, you have worked on some bills for veterans. You've really kind of crafted that lane for yourself. Can you talk a little bit about a few bills that you're working on? Uh, So I've got one that's interesting, and uh, it's funny because it's one of the reasons that I support SB3, which is the medical cannabis bill. Um, The benefits to the veteran community is, I mean, it's disproportionate. It's It's an overall benefit, I think, to trauma survivors, I'll say, um, across the state, but I think the benefit is disproportionate to veterans and that's why veterans support it so overwhelmingly. But, uh, 
you know, there's controversy around that one. And I've got a study bill that we call the breakthrough therapies bill. And, uh, that one is, uh, it's interesting cause it passed health unanimous with support from both sides. And there's, there's another lobbyist in the building that's, he's like, I don't even get you. And I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, you stood up there and you talked about MDMA and magic mushrooms and everybody just voted it through. Like you weren't talking about something controversial. And I, was like, I, I don't know, man. I just present it. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, it's a breakthrough therapies bill. Um, for those that don't know, um, those two compounds are currently scheduled one at the federal level, but the FDA has approved them based on some studies and data to enter what's called breakthrough therapy status, which allows them kind of to jump to the front of the line um, for some studies and some funding. And uh, it looks like MDMA is going to be approved by the FDA by next summer. And so then it'll go to the board of pharmacies and it could be implemented by the end of next year. And so my goal with this bill is to do it not a safety and efficacy study because that's what the FDA already does. I don't want to get ahead of that. I don't want to interfere with that. I want to do an implementation study to find out how can we be, you know, the first in service in North Carolina. We're a huge veteran state and I want to make sure that we're putting out the best care possible to our veterans as quickly as possible. So these studies are going to be done. It's just whether they're going to be done in the field in real time with real patients or we're going to pay a little bit of money to get the data ahead of time so that when it comes time to implement these things, we can make them happen. Um, there are people, you know, more convicted than me that will use the word cure. I won't use that word, uh, but it, it is quite telling. Um, uh, over 60% of the participants in the studies that I've seen so far no longer qualify for the clinical diagnosis of PTSD. Wow. And I have a personal friend who went through it eight years ago, one time. It's not something that he had to keep going back to, and he is still PTSD-free. Wow. And he's experienced additional trauma since then, and it has not reactivated his PTSD. And so it's just a, it's just a passion project of mine. Those who uh, debate in caucus or hear me present in caucus for stuff, you know, they probably get tired of me talking about the 22 a day. But it's a very personal thing to me. I've lost several brothers since I've been in or since we've returned from Iraq. I've lost one since we've been in session. Mm-hmm. So your service in the military is not your only public service. I met you back in January. A former Raleigh police officer introduced us, said he served with mm-hmm. you on the Raleigh police force. Thinks a lot of you. Can you talk about your service as a police officer here in Raleigh? And then I believe you started your career in Nags Head. Yeah, I started in Nags Head. Um, so I got back from Iraq in uh, November of 06. Got came off of orders around 07 and was and was free to be me again, you know, uh, first couple months of 2007. So, um, my, my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, looked at her and said, Let's just go to the beach, mm. like not go to the beach, but let's move to the beach and wow. be done. And she just said, Yeah, so we did. We packed up everything, which wasn't much at the time, and moved to the beach. And uh, then we got down there and said, crap, we need jobs. (laughs) And so um, I actually started as a bank teller at the local bank because that was the first person that would hire me and uh, started throwing out applications and pretty quickly got picked up by or got offers from a couple of the local police departments. Uh, It's a logical transition, same skill set, same discipline model, same rank structure. So you just kind of flow right into it. That was good. Um, Actually, a lot of crime in Nags Head. (laughs) You'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> summer season, I bet. During the summer, there's a lot. Uh, yeah, you stay really busy in the summer, and then during the winter, you just ride around and try to catch people breaking into people's 
abandoned beach houses. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so if you're on night shift about two, three o'clock in the morning, you're waiting for drunk drivers and pretty much you end up chasing other police officers because of the other, other tail lights you see on the road. <laughs> so you decided to move back to home where home is. And, uh, so, you know, put an application here in Raleigh and just, uh, slid right in. I think I was in like the 95th. Somebody's going to get mad at me because I'm a missed the number, but I think it was the 95th Lateral Academy here in Raleigh. Uh, it was around 2008-ish. Enjoyed my time here, but uh, eventually, you know, just decided to move on to another career. Essentially, my wife looked at me one day, like she was very adamant that I not re-enlist in the army, and uh, for particular reasons, when she didn't want to look across the bottom of the news feed anymore and see and wait to see my name. Um, and so, when I came back and got into law enforcement. She was good with it at first. And then, you know, things started getting a little crazier and a little crazier. Uh, cause I don't know if you guys have figured this out. I only have one gear and that is when I'm committed, I'm all the way in. And, uh, she just looked at me one day and said, this is no better. Yeah. Like it'd be okay if you were just out there writing tickets or whatnot, but I had to make another transition. So 30 years old, I go back to college and get a degree in information systems. So now I do it. Before we get into your work there, we had read a quote where you had said patrolling southeastern Raleigh, which is where we have a concentrated community of poverty, uh, that it had affected you, that you saw things that you haven't forgotten. Yeah, I saw people living in conditions that uh, I hadn't seen since I left Iraq yeah. in, in certain communities. Um, I saw people begging for help from the police um, for problems that most communities can handle on their own. And um, it was just a different structure and standard of living that just has, has stuck with me ever since. And, um, and people that ultimately, one, felt like they had no purpose and they had no voice. And so even as a police officer, I was trying to give them that, trying to reassure them of that. And, you know, it's, it's hard to look at somebody and, and say, hey, you know, you've got a purpose while you're slapping handcuffs on them and taking them to jail. Like, Hey, this is, you've got a purpose, but this ain't it. Right. Um, they're not really in the therapeutic mood, therapeutic mood in right. that moment, you know? Right. Um, so it was just trying to find a new way to help. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, it leaves its mark when you, when you experience it. To kind of take a step back, I feel like we brushed over your military service a little bit and just talking about veterans issues. Tell us about, Growing up, and then how you decided to go into the army. Well, I went into the army because uh, my academic decisions didn't leave me many other choices. <laughs> <laughs> so I was one of those kids that like school was easy for me, so I didn't try. Mm-hmm. And so laziness has consequences. Mm-hmm. I remember getting called to the guidance counselor's office, and like everybody was at the time, and they're making college plans and stuff like that. And a few of my friends said, yeah, well, you know, the guidance counselor came and told me that uh, if, if I don't bring my grades up, I'm not going to graduate. So I was like, okay, I figure that's probably what she's going to say to me too. And uh, she's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, what do you, you know, you mean after high school and in college? She was like, no, you just need to drop out now and figure out what you want to do. There's no way you're going to graduate. Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I actually looked and I was like, and she walked me through you know, the GPA that was going to be required and the credits that I had missed because I was slacking off, you know, you know, mathematically she was right. I was like, okay. And so that was a turning point. And then luckily my school got a soccer team and I'm a soccer player. So, um, I wanted to be on the soccer team. So I started getting my grades up, got approved to play soccer 
and then I started taking summer courses to get the extra credits that I needed to graduate on time. Wow. And uh, that was kind of, you know, the turning point. I wasn't going to get a soccer scholarship. So I just, I've just been listed and that was my, my ticket out of town. And the thing that I could do without admitting defeat, right? right. It was the, and, uh, and 9-11 was like huge in that. Like there was a group of us that, uh, I mean, we watched it happen. We were sitting in shop class and uh, Mr. Pridgen was his name. He's past now but uh, he was our shop teacher he was super laid back super easy to get along with and uh, we walked in one day and he just looked at us he said shut the hell up and sit down what just happened because that's completely out of character with him but we had one of those tvs in the corner and he stuck a coat hanger in the bottom of it and so that we could have signal yeah Yeah. and uh, we watched the second plane hit and he told us sit down shut up this is going to be important to you and he was right it forever changed our lives um, three of us in that room that day joined the army together mm-hmm. or deployed together in our first tours in Iraq. I was the first one to get out, but, um, one's still in, he's, uh, in special forces and still doing his thing. It is noticeable to us that while high school might have not have been your highlight for work ethic mm-hmm. in the general assembly. Thank God I did not peak in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Junior <You're>, high. <laughs> <laughs> you are a hardworking legislator. You've been a part of some huge legislation this session, the pistol permit repeal bill. You've also worked on domestic violence issues with us, mainly Sky. You're moving a lot of legislation. You don't let grass grow under your feet. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how you approach the General Assembly and what you wanted to do as a freshman? Is it living up to your expectations you had? I'll tell it this way. So... I don't know that I had expectations. Maybe I did. I'm not sure. But about three months in, I compare it to when I first joined the military. And so it's about the time you're graduating boot camp, you're getting into AIT. Um, But about three months in, you have this realization. I love what I'm doing. I'm having a great time. I love the camaraderie. I've made new friends. Wouldn't want to be doing anything else. But I'm pretty sure my recruiter lied to me. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Fair. (laughs) You have that aha moment. Like, this is not what it was billed to be. Um, Again, don't want to, like, wouldn't leave it. Thoroughly enjoying it and and feeling like I have a purpose and I'm accomplishing things. But as far as meeting expectations, I don't know what I was expecting when I got here. I guess my uh, legislative model, the way I kind of handle things, and and Sky's experience part of it, is... um, I don't treat any concern as petty. As a police officer, I learned that people don't call you because they're having a good day. They're calling you because they have no other options left. And I feel like that's the same thing with our office. By the time it gets to us, it's because they've got nothing left. They've exhausted all their local options, everything that they can think to do. And now they see this name on a piece of paper or wherever, and they think, well, if anybody can help me, he can. So I try not to waste the opportunities that are, that are presented. Um, and I also assume that I don't have all the answers. So I hear people out and then I try to build a team. And so that was actually one of the things um, you're talking about the, uh, the pistol permit bill. And, uh, you know, so lesson learned. I talked to a couple people about it. Oh, yeah, that's a great idea. We've tried in the past. And I was like, I'll do it. Whatever, you know. Nobody said don't do a gun bill as your first bill as a freshman. <laughs> like, that's a handy piece of information to have that was left out. Like, hey, look, you want to know who your friends are and enemies uh-huh. are? Run that bill. Go yeah. ahead. Figure that out. <laughs> yeah, that was trial by fire. Yeah. Um, 
But, uh, you know, Sky actually approached me and said, hey, you know, we've got one concern about that. I was like, okay. And she spelled it out. And I was like, well, yeah, that's an unintended consequence. Mm-hmm. Not something we're looking to do. And so, okay, we've got that. Let's fix it. Yeah. It's that simple. Um, it's not partisan. It's not like, well, oh, my goodness, my bill's so good that it can't possibly have an unintended consequence. Yeah, no. It's like, okay, thank you for pointing that out. Let's fix it. Oh, well, people don't agree on how to fix it. Who? Who are the people? Let's sit them at a table. Let's have a conversation. And uh, and you literally did that. I we did, were in a yeah. conference room with you around a table discussing. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and I still don't know what's happening with it because <laughs> I have since been removed from my own conference. But that's okay because eventually the solution will come back. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll have something that we agree on or we can at least move forward with. And for listeners out there, we're talking about the federal... NIC system and domestic violence not being caught by the NIC system. We're trying to make sure that the federal NIC system is catching that. And you've been working really hard on that. Speaking of negotiating, it seems that you have been able to build some good relationships with folks who are of the opposite party. Can you talk about how you came in from this contentious race beating a sitting Democrat, how you decided to, you know, work across the aisle? Uh, yeah, so for me, it's just easy. Again, it just it goes to the background of, you know, military law enforcement. You deal with, in the military, it's people from all different walks. Um, one of my good friends in basic, like, his family owned a bank. <laughs> and he lived a lifestyle like I had never seen before in my life. It was one of those things everybody thought he was special because he had so much money. Well, then he got bit by a brown recluse spider, and he's out. He's gone. He's done. Wow. And so real quick, I learned that. Not so special. Didn't get superpowers. Right. 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 It was a Spider-Man joke. You guys missed it. <laughs> no, I got it. We just didn't know whether to laugh at it. <laughs> Did I mention I'm a dad and I have five kids? <laughs> We're going to get to that. <laughs> got a lot of dad jokes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, so, but, uh, and then you deal with, like, people who joined because that was their only way out of town. You know, the parents didn't have two nickels to rub together, and this is a way that they could guarantee that they had a, you know, a dry place to sleep and a good meal. And you learn to respect people because they are deserving of respect and dignity. And that's it. Um, so that's what I've carried with me. Uh, I think that helped me well in the election cycle, and I don't plan on losing that anytime soon. And so that's just, I mean, that's just how I treat people. They're just deserving of respect and dignity. And so you have ideas I may disagree with. I'm going to hear you um and then we're just gonna we're gonna work through it let's talk about your family there you, you, go. you brought up that uh was it your high school sweetheart that became your wife oh, yeah, this is a complicated story yeah but, so yes but technically we'll, we'll say high school sweetheart <laughs> we knew each other in high school she wanted nothing to do with oh. me oh yeah yeah i married way up you had to play the long game yeah i always play the long game that's that's my political strategy that's my my Theory in life is mm-hmm. like, okay, it sucks now, but later. <laughs> later is the payoff. How'd you get uh, her? I have no idea. Okay. I came back as a war hero. That's all that moved her. I know. That. Right. No, I, that's a joke she would hit me for. But, I mean, just persistence, man, is uh, that's part of the reason that we moved to the beach was just to get away from all the noise yeah. and focus on us. Um, and it worked. I knew from the day I met her that she was the one I was supposed to be with. There were a lot of mistakes and trials along the way. And luckily, she was forgiving enough to welcome me back when I came back. Yeah. 
and you have five kids. We do. It's it's interesting when people say that like it's a big number because that is actually the nexus of this particular campaign is uh, we're supposed to have six. Mm. Yeah. Your foster care bill. No. That's oh. a different bill, but we'll get to that because <laughs> okay. it plays in as well. <laughs> um, so during COVID, when everybody was locked down, uh, we found out we were pregnant with our sixth child and uh, no idea what caused it. it could be COVID, could be nothing, could just be bad genetics, who knows. But uh, she ended up with a congenital heart defect. Mm. And so everything seemed fine. We were going to be moving on, but we were going to have to do open heart surgery when she was born. And uh, we ended up not getting there. She mm. passed away in utero, um, ended up being stillborn. Um, but the worst part was because of the COVID lockdown. So my wife went in, she was pretty sure something was wrong. And so she went to see her OBGYN and I wasn't allowed in. And so she had to find out sitting in a room alone that we weren't bringing our baby home. So, so. And I had to find out through a text message. So it was in that moment. I, uh, I make this habit of turning tragedy into motivation and purpose. See nine eleven. see this, see so many other things. Because um, otherwise, I don't know what to do with it. It just eats you up. And so in that moment, I decided the government can't tell me how to be a father. And the government can't tell me how to be a husband. I actually came to the state legislature to look for a champion to help me fight. And couldn't find one. So I'll be one. So we understand that from that experience, you have started a nonprofit. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so it was... Um, as I said, you know, we, we lost our daughter and had to go to the hospital and, uh, and still deliver her. Um, and in that moment, we're, it's one of the darkest moments of my life, but the uh, social worker from the hospital comes in and says, okay, great, you know, you need to contact a funeral home and, and figure out what you're going to do with the remains. And we're like, well, that's something we didn't plan for. And so then we call the funeral home and they're like, well, yeah, you know, um, how would you like to pay for this? that's something else like we didn't plan for Mm -hmm. and fortunately we were in a position where we were financially capable but it was immediately apparent to me I feel like God takes these moments to give you like what I call winks right and so this was a moment where God winked at me and and, uh, it was just one of those moments it was like okay we're prepared for this but how many people aren't and so um, you know obviously not in the moment but later I talked to my wife about it and I said hey look I think that we should be doing something to help other families that find themselves in this situation. And um, so we started off with um, just delivering care packages to hospitals. And uh, because that was the one thing, you, you go in and normally with a delivery, you're carrying a baby out. You know, five other times I've pushed my wife out in a wheelchair holding a baby. And this time we were holding a box. Right. A little, you know, discharge package. Right. A little bag. And so we started doing care packages with, you know, verses in them, a book that my wife had read that, you know, helps with suffering traumatic loss. Um, just stuff like that. A little handwritten note from from us. And, and the whole message is that you're not alone. But also in that um, we uh, we have a portion of it that uh, if need be. We can provide some financial assistance um, with different funeral homes and stuff for the the end of life costs, 
And so, and uh, we named it after my daughter, which is Ada Jane. So it's the Ada Jane Foundation. And uh, so just another trying to turn tragedy into purpose and try to make somebody else's life a little bit easier. You said it has a web, you have a website for your yeah, foundation? Yeah, um, it's adajane.org. Okay. Yeah, there's a, apparently we found this out, you know, there's a, some girl somewhere who thinks she's a singer. She might be, she might be great, but she also has Ada Jane as her name. And so adajane.com, I think is taken by her. Okay. So check out her music. It could be good. <laughs> but yes, that is the nexus also to the foster care bill because later when my wife was ready, we looked into fostering because our life is set up for six children. We know our heart has room to love a sixth child. Um, we bought a suburban to make sure we had room for a six child in a car. Our house is big enough and we're financially secure enough to, to handle an additional child. But when we went into the system, we had recommendations from several guardian ad litem members that we would make a great placement home, had a sit down with, uh, one of the local representatives for DHHHS and I've added an extra H in there, but it's okay. <laughs> and she thought we'd be a great placement, but she just was sad because she can't we were automatically disqualified because we already have five kids in the house now our oldest kid is 18 and he's now no longer there so you know the bill actually doesn't apply to us anymore because we could foster if we wanted to but it opened my eyes to another issue that just seems to have such a common sense solution like okay like so five's there somebody smarter than me again we already talked about my gpa and stuff so clearly smarter than me set that rule at five yeah so i don't want to remove safety guards right don't need to reinvent the wheel but let's just not make it an automatic disqualifier let's let the trained professionals at dhhs make a judgment call and so if you pass all the other checks and everything else is good to go and they think you'd be a great placement then you can host one foster child or a sibling pairing because the goal is to keep siblings together. The, res the end results, the lifelong results from keeping siblings together are significantly better than if you separate them. And, and I've said it a few times, and it's not original to me. I stole it from somebody, but I don't remember who I stole it from, so mm -hmm. I can't give credit to them. But, you know, the goal is not only to make North Carolina the best state to live in, but the best state to be born in. Mm -hmm. And so not, not dependent on who you're born to or what condition you're born in. We should be fighting to just improve lives. Talking a little bit more about your family, your wife and your kids, has it been difficult to be here in Raleigh for an extended period of time? And also you have your regular day job. Uh, yeah. So um, I'm fortunate. I only live 33 miles from here. So I, every night that I can drive back and tuck my kids into bed, I'm driving home. Um, in fact, I have not spent a single night in Raleigh. I don't plan to. Okay. If we go to two o'clock in the morning, I'll drive home and get less sleep, but I'm going to sleep in my bed. I spent a lot of money on that bed. <laughs> I'm sleeping in it. Um, so I manage an IT department. So I'm not on, on the ground level anymore. I'm managing people. So that's a little bit easier to do remotely. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, email is a powerful source of economic impact for me. We have some family friends, my wife and I do, and they have five kids. We'll go over to visit and we'll go back to our house. We have two kids and they're in college now, but we'll say, man, that was a loud house. <laughs> There's a lot going on. It's like Lord of the Flies at dinner time. That's right. Is, is that what it's like? Uh, more or less. We don't, <laughs> the, the problem is we don't realize it. Um, so until the kids go to like grandma's or somebody else's house and then we sit down and we're like, 
man, it's quiet. <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> yeah, like, I don't want to turn the TV up nearly as loud, right. you know? Um, and everybody asked, well, what's it like having five kids? And I was like, I don't know, man. Once you get to, like, the biggest transition is one to two. Uh-huh. And then once you're above three, you're just, like, finding space for a car seat yeah. and learning how to count in the mirror. That's that's <laughs> literally it. That's the only difference. Like, if you have a choice, have a daughter first because they will help you raise the rest of them. Right. Yeah. Okay. Smart advice. So, yeah. yeah. That was, our first daughter was number three. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Boys aren't helping you raise anybody. No. And they're like teenage boys and they're like, I don't have to listen to her. You listen to her. <laughs> She's helping me. You listen to her. <laughs> so this is the magic wand question. If you had a magic wand and you could change something in our politics today, policy or otherwise, what would it be? If I had a magic wand, I, I would want to remove hate and malice from people's heart. Mm. I think that would solve so many issues. We wouldn't really have an, I wouldn't have a job anymore. Yeah. I would have no need to legislate if people would just stop hating one another. Yeah. Um, because most of what we do is say, hey, you can't inflict violence on that person for any reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, so that would be it. I'm just, I get so tired of the infighting because people just look for reasons not to like one another. Yeah. And so that would be the one thing I could fix. And I think it would fix a lot of our political issues as well. I agree. Well, Representative Alan Chesser, we appreciate everything you're doing in North Carolina politics, your service in the North Carolina House. You certainly know how to do politics better. Thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you guys for having me. The Do Politics Better podcast is sponsored by the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association. Beer and wine distributors in North Carolina are family-owned companies that directly employ more than 5,600 men and women across the state. The North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association works with the General Assembly to develop alcohol policies that ensure fairness in a competitive marketplace and promote responsible behavior. Visit the North Carolina Beer and Wine Wholesalers Association at ncbeerwine.com for more information. So like I said in the conversation with Representative Chesser, I first met him through a Raleigh police officer, said, you really got to get to know this guy. He is a terrific guy. We were sorry to see him leave the police force. Very conscientious. He's someone you can work with down there. We represent the Raleigh Police Protective Association. And so I met Representative Chesser back in January. And true to everything Rick Armstrong told me, Representative Chesser being a police officer is so conscientious of what's going on in communities. To hear him talk about uh, gun violence, to hear him talk about mental health, talk about domestic violence, these are things that he has seen up close and personal. While he was the lead sponsor in the House on repealing the pistol permit system, he recognized that there were some loopholes that needed to be closed. Just the energy that he brought to that meeting you, I was with you in, uh, Sky. Uh, it was so refreshing to see someone who really wants to tackle policy problems and find solutions. After my initial meeting with him, I said, hey, you know, shook his hand and said, thanks for being willing to work with me on this. And he said, well, if I'm not here to create solutions, I should go home. Yeah. Uh, Representative Chester, thank you for being on the podcast, and we look forward to continuing to work with you at the General Assembly. Tweet of the week. week.
The Tweet of the Week is sponsored by the North Carolina Pork Council, representing hog farmers around the state working hard to do agriculture better. Today, hog farms are reducing their carbon footprint by covering lagoons, reducing emissions, and generating renewable natural gas. To learn more, visit ncpork.org. This week's Tweet of the Week is from Kirk. He's at not Kovac, N-O-T-K-O-V-A-C-H. Would you say say Kovac? I think so. I don't know who this is. I don't know him either. And it is a picture of Governor Cooper and Scott Crone from CNBC sitting in front of Biltmore for the interview that was on TV on Tuesday about the best business or the best place to do business, North Carolina. So it's this beautiful backdrop of Biltmore. And he tweeted, the Western residence is so beautiful this time of year. (laughs) Oh, governor's wish that was the Western residence. By the way, the Western residence up in Buncombe County is a great lodge or house. Just the photos I've seen. I've never been in it, but uh, pales in comparison to the Biltmore Estate. By the way, our friends at the North Carolina Travel Industry Association, sponsors of the podcast, they're a client of ours, uh, just love the fact that uh, the Biltmore Estate, Nashville, was in the backdrop, really showcasing the destinations of North Carolina. Last year, it was... Up here at Wrightsville. Yeah. So we really went east to west. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be Raleigh for year three. Yeah. Let's see. So speaking of destinations, we just all got back from the beach, including you, Ryder. Uh, You guys were at Wrightsville Beach. I was at Carolina Beach. People were all over North Carolina, but a lot of beaches for the 4th of July. And I said to you that Wrightsville was packed, and you said Carolina Beach was also packed. To the gill. I mean, we would get out after lunch to set up our little tent and put up the chairs, and we were like three rows back on the beach, barely being able to see through all the shambuies and tents to, you know, see the water. The one thing I've noticed about going to, like, beaches in North Carolina is... All those tents that have like the blue on them, they're everywhere. Like, at least change them up sometimes. Like, they're everywhere. Thank you for taking me directly into my talking point here. It feels like the shampooie is a status symbol on the beach, uh-huh. like to let people know you're a beach person and you're willing to drop $300 on a flag. <laughs> So, and I, it made me think of things that are North Carolina specific flexes. Now I put this on threads last week and a lot of people were responding with just, you know, North Carolina dunking on other states, which is not what I meant. I meant people from North Carolina. It's only like a brag to other people from here. Mm. And another thing that I said was how long your family's been in North Carolina. You're from North Carolina. So what do you think is something that people say to let you know, like, you know, I'm really North Carolinian? Well, first, let me make a plug for the Shambui. And they are not a sponsor (laughs) of the podcast, Ryder. Maybe you could work on getting these guys to be a sponsor of the podcast. One of the reasons we bought the Shambui, one, it's easy to put up. I mean, you can get it put up in, you know, two minutes. North Carolina product. It's a North Carolina product. These guys are from North Carolina. 
And I think they're from Chapel Hill. And they came up with this great contraption. So we wanted to not only have some shade at the beach, but, you know, by North Carolina. I take a lot of pride in being from North Carolina. And so when I introduce myself and people say, where are you from? I always say Duplin County. I take a lot of pride in being from Duplin County. Because one thing, living in Raleigh, you know, I think there's this assumption that maybe I'm not from North Carolina because there's so few of, especially like in my neighborhood and Cary. For starters, yeah, you don't live in Raleigh. Right, right. <laughs> right. Or if I say I'm from Raleigh or for Cary, I think people think, oh, you're just a transplant because yeah. we really are the minority in our community. So I, I'll say, yeah, I'm from Duplin County. That's where I'm from. Now, I haven't really lived in Duplin County since I was a boy. But I, I do take pride because I really think it talks about who I am and my values and the way I was raised and the way I see the world. But yeah, I take pride in that. But I also take pride in saying that Carolina Beach is my beach. This happens a lot in North Carolina. You'll notice when people have a beach, they'll put WB for Wrightsville yeah. Beach on their car, CB for Carolina Outer beach. Banks. Outer Banks. Outer Banks. Yeah. OBX. OBX. OIB for... Ocean Isle Beach. Ocean Isle Beach, Yeah. So, yeah. I thought that meant outer inner banks. <laughs> I don't think. Did you really think that? Yeah. Is that actually a thing? I don't think so. <laughs> I'm just an idiot. <laughs> so in your 11 years of life here, Ryder, uh, you're, fr- you're born here in North Carolina? Yes. Yeah. What's the most North Carolina thing about you? Probably like Pepsi. Because Pepsi Oh. That's a good one. Born down in New Bern. So I don't drink Pepsi. I drink Coke, which is from Atlanta. I do feel like I'm betraying the cause a little bit. Do you like cheer wine? I've had it once, but I'm not a big like cheer on person. But one thing I love is Coca-Cola cherry. Ah, uh, so you're willing to go over to the Coke side. Only for a cherry. Only for cherry. <laughs> 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 All right, man. Pepsi's way better than Coke, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's sweeter. Yeah. Yeah. I- I feel like I might get my teeth on more fast, but... <laughs> yeah. Well, you down some Coca-Colas when you come to the office. Mm-hmm. Man, and this kid, this kid, when he drinks a Coca-Cola, he chews it. Gotta enjoy it more, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you come to the office and drink and eat our Coca-Cola. <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Why are you here? Like, wh- why would you choose to come here instead of the home builders? You don't want to hang out with all those old fogies over there? They're like 70. <laughs> the youngest guy there is probably my dad. <laughs> and how old is he? 42. Uh-huh. So he just drops you off at the new frame office. This is your summer school, huh? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, all right, Sky. So would you say North Carolina is your adopted state? Yeah. And in August, so August 1st, we're approaching that. I will have been here 10 years. Wow. wow. Your parents were here last week. Mm-hmm. They're from Southern Illinois. They come here once a year for a vacation. They visit you in between. But yeah, they my come- mom lived with me this year. Yeah. How do they see North Carolina? Do, uh, how, how is it for them as an outsider coming in and visiting? Because I know you guys went to a few restaurants in town last week. I think my parents really like it here. And my mom always comments on how green it is. You know, you fly into Illinois, you see the squares of land, the plots um, on folks' farms. And 
that is something that I think is comforting because it's you know proportional but here you fly in and you see all the trees when you're landing and they like that they like my neighborhood that you can walk around look at all the old houses my parents love old houses so I think they like it here and not clearly not enough to move here Mm -hmm. you think they stay there they retire there um someone brought that up I think Britt brought that up to my mom the other day and she said they would be willing to move after my dad's parents pass mm-hmm. but right now they need them so i don't know i don't know that they would move out here because my brother is so far away yeah you too right mm-hmm. Ryder, take us out of the pod everyone i hope you enjoyed the do politics better podcast and leave us five star review perfect all right i gotta interrupt you there Ryder. Remember when you reviewed our podcast and told us how great we were, and then you hit one star? I didn't mean to. I, you know, like you have to press each star. I clicked five, and I actually double tapped it, so it brought me back to one. Really? That's a lie. Yeah. Well, I said how great the podcast was, but see, why would I say how great the podcast was, but give it one star? That's the big question I'm asking here. <laughs> 